Hi, this is John Ojaka from MusicMarketingManifesto.com, and you're listening to Behind the Note Podcast. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, everybody. Thank you for pressing play today. This is episode number 25, and of course, we have a great show ahead. Now, I want to let you know that I am very active in my local music scene, and because of that, I get to meet some really great people, some very well-rounded people, and that's how I got to meet today's guest. So today's guest is a recording engineer, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about how to get started as a recording engineer and also how to sustain once you're once you've already begun. So if you know someone who's an engineer or desires to be an engineer, please forward this episode to them because this is going to be a good one for them. And of course, as a musician, you can always learn from listening to this as well. So today's guest is pretty versatile and you have to be versatile when you're doing something like we do as as creative musicians and in this case music engineers you got to be versatile because if you put yourself in the box you're not going to really work as often as you could if you uh, made yourself open to play different styles of music so uh, today's guest is very versatile in what he captures in the recording process but he has really become popular in the christian music circle working with people like Vashon Mitchell and, and many, many other people. Uh, we talk about that briefly today in today's episode. So I just wanted to bring somebody different to you. So we're going to have an engineer today. In in the future, my, my hope and my goal I'm working on right now, currently I'm working on getting people in PR uh, and in management uh, some different contractors who do different types of work because I want to talk to many different types of of people so that I can have something good for you, a good resource for you. Uh, so anyway, uh, without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce to you today recording engineer, Mr. Roger Willis. Here's our talk. Roger, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We're glad to have you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So I want everybody to get to know you a little bit. So I want to begin by asking you, uh, how did you get into recording? Wow, I don't think the I don't think we have enough time for all of that. <laughs> yeah, so just give us a little brief. Uh, well, long story short, um, yeah. in the early '80s, I was in college, and uh, I did a lot of front of house for bands. And uh, I was right there at the at the beginning of what we call this whole world of digital recording. And being a kind of like a, a geek, a gearhead, you know, technical guy, I um, it was a perfect time for me to marry my computer skills with what was coming, which was the whole world of digital recording. And so I kind of got kind of got started in the early '80s, and it's just progressed from that point to this one. So tell us really quick. Um who have you worked with so far in your in your career? Oh wow. Uh <laughs> wow. Um going back as far, you know, from a secular standpoint, I've worked with uh R. Kelly, 
I've worked with Digital Underground, uh, gosh, um, uh, a bunch of rappers. <laughs> um, it, the, li- the list is kind of long, but uh, on the gospel side, I've worked with probably the majority of those that are out there today. I've had some interaction with them, whether it be mixing, mastering, recording. Uh, if I were to name some names, I would say locally in the Chicago market, uh, Mark Hubbard, uh, Malcolm Williams, uh, Garrett Body, quite a few, quite a few. And definitely all of the musicians, all the A-list musicians that are out there, I probably have had some interaction with and work with. And I really only ask because I want people to understand that we are talking to a professional right now. So, oh, man, you, you're too kind. And and I think that that uh, that your your wisdom might hold a little more weight and people understand that. So I, I kind of do that on purpose uh, for the benefit yeah. of, of everyone listening. Appreciate it. Man. So tell me, what's your favorite type of recording? Do you have a favorite style that you like to capture? Honestly, uh, when I got started, you know, uh, by default, I think we all kind of lend, uh, uh, you know, kind of tilt toward what we're most comfortable with and you know obviously for me that's urban music uh but but as i've grown to love uh this science this thing we call recording and engineering i've had i've just you know i've purposely stretched uh my repertoire you know i expanded my boundaries to all types of music so today i wouldn't say that i have you know a particular type of music you know, that I enjoy recording. I think it makes, you know, being a much more well-rounded engineer requires that you study and get to know all types of genres of music, you know, so that you can perform uh, at a level that your customer wants you to perform at. So, you know, I don't, I don't discriminate. Music doesn't have a color, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm a student. So that's a good way to, to make sure that you stay working too. Absolutely. (laughs) Got to pay these bills. You know what I'm saying? That's true. So, most most engineers that I've worked with, not all, but most, uh, they typically tell me that they either record and mix and they don't master or vice versa. Do, do you do one or the other or, or both? I do both. Okay. Uh, when I'm working on a project, let's say, for example, if we're recording the entire album, the entire record, the entire EP or whatever it is, then I have people that work for me and with me that will become more primary with regard to, you know, the the mixing aspect of it if I'm going to master. If I'm going to mix, then, you know, some and someone else is mastering, I, I you know, I switch, switch gears because I, I want to have my own perspective. Uh, sometimes when you're mixing, I liken it to writing a term paper or a thesis, and you, you don't really do a, a very good job of proofreading your own work. So I want to have my own perspective of the music uh, so that, uh, I'm not so close to it, and I often just remove myself from the process pretty much the entire time until it's time for me to take, you know, take the lead, uh, or you know, have the time pass to me for me able to, you know, for me to do what I do, whether it be mixing or mastering. That makes perfect sense, and I've I've heard that before, and it makes sense, and I think it helps to make the project better just for having, as they say, a fresh set of ears on it. Absolutely, yeah. because when you're mixing a song, particularly when you're mixing. The mix process is a much longer process than the mastering process, generally speaking. So you've you've heard that song, you know, potentially hundreds of times or portions of it, you know, hundreds of times. And after a while, um, you know, you can kind of lose perspective of something that you should be 
paying attention to because you've you've conditioned your your ears, your mind, you know, to what you've been hearing all along, as opposed to, you know, when you have someone separately mastering a project or mixing a project, they can come in and hear something that, that's been there all along, but you just didn't hear it. Or, you know, like like I said earlier, using the example of writing a, a paper, you know, the way you write is the way you write. The way you speak is the way you speak. And, you know, sometimes we don't speak or write correctly and it takes someone else to be able to, you know, point that out to us. So what's what's the name of your business? The business's name is New Beginning Production Studio. And there's a message behind that. There's a reason why that name became what it is. Please tell us. Um, Wow. Okay. Early in my career, I mentioned some of the early uh, secular artists that I worked with. And I had a a production company called Infinity Productions at that time. And I was young in the industry, you know, uh, starry-eyed like a lot of people. And I learned the hard way that it's a cutthroat and tough and rough business. And um, for for a long time, you know, after experiencing some of the things that I experienced, you know, I've had songs stolen from me and, you know, all kinds of things. Um, I just didn't I just didn't want to be a part of the industry anymore. So for a long time, I just separated myself from it and just wasn't interested in it. And I got to a point later on in my life uh, where I felt like I had something to offer uh, the industry a level of excellence that I felt like was missing, that I'm still endeavoring to achieve. But I just felt like it was time for me to kind of re-engage, being a much more mature person. And uh, that's where the name New Beginning came from. So it literally was a new beginning for me. How much time passed from your time off from the the business? Uh, Probably eight to ten years. That's a good good amount of time to to think and have a, a new perspective. That's really yeah, important. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for me, in a, you know, being younger, you know, the ways we choose to want to deal with bad things that happen aren't always appropriate. And so, you know, it takes a level of uh, maturity to get to a point where when things go wrong that um, you're able to deal with it. You're able to, A, deal with it because you need to, but also be able to deal with it in a in a edifying and positive way you know so back then you know i was ready to kill somebody (laughs) as an example Mm -hmm. but today it's not that serious i'm i I deal with things as they come but from a a definitely a much more mature perspective so in that eight to ten year time span did you ever stop recording i I stopped it all i didn't didn't buy any gear okay i didn't you know i just wasn't interested at all uh i just my, my life just took another turn and i was just doing other things so I'm really curious, you came back with a new perspective. How did your, I don't even know what to call it, uh, how, how, did, how did your, well, I don't know how to say this. Okay, for me, it would be my sound as a trumpet player. I want to ask you, how did your sound change in, in what you do, or if at all? Yeah, I, I definitely... Um I would say that it changed. I think what was in my ear and what I was looking for hadn't changed. But when I reengaged, uh, I became even more of a student than I had been before. And so now I was literally learning more about how to get the sound that I was hearing in my head, you know, on tape or on disc or on system, you know. So um, I just 
I just delved in head first and just really decided that I was going to be the best at, you know, whatever it is I chose to do. And I'm still endeavoring to be that. Uh, I don't think you ever really reach a point where you are the absolute definitive best. But I think that, um, you know, anybody that does anything, we should all be endeavoring to, to, to truly become a student of it and learn it. And, you know, success doesn't happen in happenstance. Um, you know, you can if if I ask you to bake me a cake and you bake the cake and it's great. And then another week or so goes by and I say, hey, man, can you bake me one of those cakes you bake? If it doesn't taste like the last one, then that's not really what we what I would consider to be, you know, great at what you do. You got lucky and any of us can get lucky. But when you're able to do something on a consistent basis because you practice and because you invest in the time to learn and get better at whatever it is you do, I think that just makes you a better person. So in terms of my sound, my sound today is definitely better than it was. Uh, because of those reasons. So when you first came back, would you say you were better or or about the same as when you quit? I would say I was about the same. Okay. Uh, you know, from a from a, from the standpoint of understanding what needed to happen and, you know, the, t- the, the technology that had, you know, evolved from that time to the time that I got back in it, I, I, I had kept up with what was going on. Um, the, the discipline of recording really has not changed, even though, you know, this whole world of digital has come along. You know, we still have to uh, we still have to maintain certain standards of recording that have existed from the beginning of recording. You know, so sometimes a lot of us think that we're now that we're in this digital world, you have to somehow record differently than the guys that were using tape, you know, back in the day and only had two or four tracks to work with. Nothing's changed. It's just how we do what we do and understanding the technology that we're using is what's changed. But the theory has not changed. Sort of like being a trumpet player or, uh, you know, a keyboardist or whatever it is you do. Nothing's changed. Technology changes, but we rules don't change. That's really good. That's important to know. And the reason why I ask these questions is because, well, I think I can explain myself this way. For example, being a brass player, one will learn eventually if you play long enough that you just can't take time off of the instrument if you want to be good because your body physically needs to have that brass on the face so you can develop those muscles. So if you take too much time off, you're, you're going to lose what you have. However, time off can also be good for you because you, you need rest to, uh, to become fresh again, I guess. But that's the physical part. Mentally, you need to rest sometimes. And I've experienced both scenarios where we're taking time off and coming back. And it, it seems like I sound better. I feel better. I can play my ideals easier than, than I ever have been able to play them. So I, I just wanted to ask you about that to see how, how that worked out for you. And so thank you for sharing that part Absolutely. with us. Yeah. So I would like, uh, I like people to be able to, to put into practice as much as possible. And I, we only have like a, a short podcast here. So I know we can't address everything by any means, but I wanted to get what I can from you. So from your experience, I guess I'm asking how can one have a, a nice recording career going from nothing to working consistently? That's a great question. 
Um, and I and I get questions similar to that one a lot. And I think the first thing that that I would advise anyone who would be considering doing not just this you know world of recording, but I would say the first and most important ingredient for success is a passion and a love for whatever it is you do, because you know uh, you could be physically gifted at something, and everybody would say you're the greatest. But but you know yourself that you're really not putting much into it. And there really is a fine line between good and great. There are a lot of people that are good, but the greatest amongst us do that little something extra that everybody else or, you know, all the others don't do. And so I, I would say that passion and that passion that I'm saying that you should have is what drives you to do that something extra that other people are not going to do. The passion in my case is what drives me to become a student, you know, to understand, you know, every knob, every switch, what's going to happen and know what's going to happen before it happens, you know, um, to, to really become a student uh, of the technology and learning, you know, the theory behind what, what's going on and under and understanding from that perspective. So, I think that that would be the first thing. And then secondly, that passion, uh, all of that translates into putting in work. You know, you have to uh, practice, you know, to become better. If you're a musician, you you don't, even if you're good, you're not going to get better if you don't practice. And so, uh, you know, there there are a lot of people that want to do what we do. And sometimes that little extra that you put in is what gets noticed that's different about you than the next person. So, you know, in a nutshell, you know, those are the things that are ultimately become the most important thing. So what's an example of practicing for for a recording engineer? I don't know what that looks like. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, you know, practicing meaning from the standpoint of this recording industry, uh, as a recording engineer, you just can't, as an example, throw mics up. You know, if you're recording a drummer, as an example, you know, learning what types of mics, learning the technique. Uh, learning the characteristics of the mic, learning how to match up a microphone to a microphone preamp, and which mics sound better with mics with uh, which mics sound better with, you know, uh, a paired up preamp. Um, you know, learning how to get the tone out of something that you're looking for when you record it. So sometimes people just oversimplify that whole process and they just start connecting mics up, and it's like, well, there's really a whole lot more to it than that. You could literally spend a day miking a set of drums in order to get what you're actually looking for. So, again, sometimes people just throw things up and they get lucky, and it sounds great. But oftentimes, you know, you have to, you know, mic a drum, as in my example, where the drum speaks, and learning that, that's an individual thing. And would you say that's an art or a science? I'd say I'd say it's probably more science than art okay. because— uh, the rules don't change. You know, the drum resonates in my example. A drum resonates from where it resonates. And it's up to you, the recording engineer, to learn where that is, where the drum is speaking, where the drum is giving you the tone that you want to capture. And that's where you need to focus your mic. You know, so that's more science in my, uh, you know, by my estimation. Some probably would call it an art, but I kind of call it a do you know how to mic a drum? And that's more of a science to me. So how did you learn from YouTube? <laughs> That's man, a joke. <laughs> listen, I, listen, I'm going to tell you, oh, in this man. information age that we live in today, we need to leverage any and all 
means by which we can learn something. Now, there's a lot of misinformation on YouTube. Everybody knows that. Well, maybe some people don't, you know, but but there's a lot of good information out there from respected um, people that, that can lend uh, a lot of credence to whatever it is you're trying to learn. So, yes, absolutely. I use uh, YouTube. I've used YouTube. I, I'm a member of a lot of forums, uh, you know, where there are other professionals that I uh, aspire to be like, um, you know, magazines, you know, trade shows. Um, you know, I study uh, people and I, I study their sound even if I can't study them. You know, so I listen to their music and try to pattern my sound after someone that I'm trying to be like. You know, how do I get this sound, my stuff to sound like that? I study their music and I start critically listening to things and honing in on areas where I can kind of pattern myself. And that's kind of what I do. Roger, you're the first engineer that I've had on the show. And I want to take advantage of that. And we're talking about setting up, uh, setting up equipment and, and capturing sound. Please, I hope you can help me with this so I can help people in the future. $20. All right. So here's the thing. I've, I've done many recording sessions and I will play in the microphone, and the sound is not my sound. So, for example, I can play out of the microphone, and then I'll play the same one note in the microphone, and, and the timbre and the quality of the sound is totally different. What, what's going on there? You know, that that is an example of the recording engineer um not really focusing in and sometimes in fairness you know when when you come into a studio you know time is money you know and we don't always have the budget available to be able to you know always take the time to you know move the mics around change mics change preamps you know change you know it all takes time and and so we have to kind of balance the you know the time that we have because the artist or somebody's paying for the studio time but the flip of that is, um, you know, just poor technique. You know, uh, there's nothing worse for a musician to play and know what their instrument sounds like and what they're hearing isn't what their instrument sounds like. There's nothing worse than that. And while I, I'm not going to say I'm perfect, I don't think anybody is, again, because there are factors, mitigating factors, why you might not get that, but you, you definitely should be trying to come close um, because it's uninspiring to the musician because they're putting in work to record something and they're thinking to themselves all along while they're playing, man, this doesn't even sound like my instrument. And so you don't, you're not going to even get the performance out of the musician that you really should get because they're disgruntled and they haven't even told you in some cases. So it's just poor technique. Okay. So, well, I guess that's good to know. I, I was just hoping maybe as a, as the player i i could say something to to speak their language and let them know you know this is the sound that i normally get and i would like to get that but anyway well along those lines real quickly i think it's i think it's perfectly normal um at least it would be for me you know i always advise my customers my musicians singers whatever listen if if you're not hearing something that you that you want to hear or if something's not right, don't let it go, you know, because you have a vested interest in a project as a musician, just like the artist or just like the producer uh, is your name. You know, and when you look at the credits, it's going to say your name. That is so true. You know, so I, I think it's fair 
to be able to uh, bring a point, you know, uh, you know, bring to whomever's attention if something is kind of not like what you'd like it to be. I think that's perfectly fair. And I've learned this lesson the hard way where I have left uh, the studio and I knew I knew, oh, man, that was that wasn't that wasn't right. And I left it up to the engineer to correct. And that was my mistake because uh, they actually released a CD where it it was a take of me playing that I would not have preferred not to let happen. So I, I've learned my lesson from that, which is I, I had to this is a while ago, but still a lesson learned. Just raise the level of my performance, first of all. And then uh, secondly, uh, just just be you have to be vocal sometimes you know, and, and make sure like, hey, you need to delete that one. I'm going to do that again for you right now. You know, and my, my philosophy is that I don't delete anything that I record. I do get requests. You know, I understand to do that. why you wouldn't, too. But because sometimes we're able to technology now affords us the ability to be able to do composites of a bunch of different takes. So there may be one part of this one take that that is salvageable. Um, you know, that I can append to something else. But as a musician speaking to you, uh, uh, as a musician, uh, you definitely have, it's it's fair game to bring to the, the table that if something's not what you think it should be with regard, in, with regard to your performance, you know, because it's you, it's your name, it's your resume, you know, so I think it's completely fair for you to speak up. And if, and if the producer says, hey, you know, you know, they want to do something or keep it or whatever, you know, I, ultimately we have to kind of submit to that, but but at the end of the day, you have a voice that should be heard. All musicians should be heard. So I want to go back a little bit because I want to speak to the people who really want to do this for real. So for in your case, for example, how did you go from how did you go from not really performing? I use performing as a habit, but not but but getting um, clients such as R. Kelly, for example, and really getting heavy into that. How, how does that happen? For, for well, let me let me qualify the whole R. Kelly thing. I, don't, I just I, use him as an example, but it, anybody with with a great name that doesn't have to be him, right? You know, I, I just uh, give me like five seconds on that. I'm I'm not going to say that I had like all these credits and all that kind of thing with R. Kelly. Uh, in his early day, when he was like R. Kelly and public announcement, you know, you know, when he was at CBS High School, you know, when he was young, and you know, I had acts that toured with with R. Kelly. Uh, so, you know, I got a chance to do some work with him, but I wouldn't say anything that's, that's notable for the record. But um, getting back to your question, uh, I forgot your question. <laughs> well, I was just asking how how did you because we want to learn from your experiences, but I'm hoping to educate someone so they can know how they can get to that level of excellence that they will play or perform or work with gotcha. people. A-listers, right. for example. Yeah. Bottom line is, and this is what I tell um, not just people who aspire to be engineers or mix engineers or mastering engineers. I, I tell this to musicians and to anybody. You know, um, you must work. You must uh, perfect your craft. You know, put in time and wait. And when the opportunity comes, seize it. And, and you're able best to seize it because you're prepared. Preparedness equates to confidence you know and so that's not to say that you don't get nervous and whatnot but sometimes you know um, music is is really personal with people Um, you know who you use to record who you use to mix and master is sort of like what barbershop you go to you know you get comfortable with a barber and you just don't really want to switch 
But one day you're going to need a haircut and your barber is not going to be available. And then you're going to look and try and find someone. And that's when that opportunity comes. And you must be prepared to take and seize that opportunity. And you're not going to be prepared if you're not studying, if you're not perfecting your craft uh, and, and ready to season that opportunity. That's really good advice. If I'm, but if I'm working, if I'm working and I'm getting good, how is anybody going to know? Networking's important. Um, you know, that's another thing. Uh, just get out there and network. You know, if I were a musician, as an example, uh, you got to get out there and network and get to know people. As a as a, a studio owner and as a recording and mixing engineer, mastering engineer, I've had to get out and get to know people. Um, you know meet meet the players you know you can't you can't operate in a vacuum you, you know really you know deals are made as a result of relationships so you got you just have to get out there and and make your presence known and and the other thing is is as an example if you're if you want to be in the music industry you have to be where where music is happening if 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 you live in the foothills of nebraska and you want to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, not to say that there aren't things happening in the foothills, but in my example, if there's nothing musically going on in Nebraska, then you need to go somewhere where it is. You know, so uh, that's why, you know, industry people, you know, are in California, New York, Chicago. You, you, your best chance for success is, is being in a place where it's actually where the opportunities for you to be able to have an opportunity material, can materialize. But for a musician, we go to jam sessions. Right. So where where do engineers go? Unfortunately, there's not a lot of opportunity. There's no quote-unquote shedding, if you will. And that's one of the things I would really like to change because, I don't know, it just seems to be, um, there seems to be the underlying feeling in the industry with regard to musicians, I'm sorry, with regard to engineers that, you know, um, we're, a lot of us are really competitive and a lot of what we do is um, artistic in nature and how we do what we do. Because uh, there's a million and one ways to kind of get a tone or a sound. And sometimes, you know, I guess they can be somewhat, quote unquote, proprietary in nature, you know, the way in which we do it. Um, and that those are kind of secrets that engineers don't really kind of want to share. But I, I'm, I don't, I'm not a part of that group because... I feel like um, people have sold into me and uh, I'm, I'm the type of person that wants to sow into the next person, not just to anyone, though, you know, um, to someone that I feel like is eager and has a drive and passion to do what I do. Then I'm all about it. Uh, so we don't really have those opportunities. So I, I do have some people that I've met in the industry, Khalid Glover, uh, Grammy winner, uh, Dave Pensado, different others, uh, you know, that 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 uh, have sewn into me uh, and they're geographically in different places. And so there's no perceived threat. And even if they were in the same location, there would be no perceived threat. But, but it, we don't get a chance to, you know, get together and shed and, and jam um, and, you know, uh, have any sort of, um, you know, knowledge transfer synergy. You know, we don't, we don't get those opportunities very much as uh, mixing and recording and mastering engineers. You said, a couple of important things, and I want to bring those out. Okay, for example, tell us, how did you meet Glover? I met Khalid Glover uh, virtually at first. Um, I met him online. Uh, he had um, 
some online courses, you know, Mixing Secrets Revealed and, you know, some other things. And he became my mentor early on uh, several years ago. And I started following, um, you know, him and uh, being a part of things that he was doing online uh, to try and help educate people. And, you know, I paid for, you know, his consultation with him and things like that. And I invested in myself through him and others, uh, Fab DuPont in New York City, you know, different ones, the star studio owners and mixed engineers that I that I really like, uh, Bruce Whitting, different cats like that. You know, I, I would invest my time and money, go visit them, spend time with them in their studios and just try to glean as much as I can uh, from them. And um, and so I take that same information now, and, you know. And, and pay it forward to others. And you also, thank you for sharing that with us. That's very important. So I just want to recap on that part of our talk that you took advantage of the of the virtual meeting and eventually, well, first of all, you, you met them virtually, you, you practiced what they were teaching, and then you were able to turn that virtual meeting into a physical face-to-face meeting. Absolutely. And develop a relationship that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's really important. And thank you for that. And I want to ask you, so there's a, you mentioned the perceived threat of competition between engineers. Um, I like that you said perceived because that, that gives, that lets us know that it's only perceived and it's not real. Right. So I think that's really important because it's not only in the, in the circle of engineers, but musicians and fill in the blank in any career. So I just wanted to talk about that briefly because that's coming from a mindset of scarcity. Absolutely. And there's really actually not, not perceived, but there's actually more than enough work for, for everyone. No doubt. No so doubt. I just want, I, I really felt that I needed to say that and I didn't want that to just go over without being said. So when when you're talking about you said something important about paying it forward and helping you were helped and helping someone else um, after you, which I know that you're doing. And that's really important because that's what life is about. Right. You know, it's about life is about loving people, helping people. And in in your calling as an engineer in this example, why not help? There's yeah, really no threat. I really don't understand, um, you know, why. People are threatened by that. Um, you know, these gifts that, that I feel like are um, God-given gifts, they die with us if we don't share them. You know, so I, I, I feel personally that we bear a responsibility to share. You know, again, I'm not, I'm not interested, you know, as an example, I have a son, my older son. You know, he's he's the microwave generation and he'll come down to the studio and, and he wants to say, Dad, just show me how to make a beat. And I'm like, go read a book. <laughs> you know, So, you know, you're going to have to invest in yourself in, in order for me to want to spend time and share time um, with you. And so I, I believe that there are worthy individuals out there that that are um, that are um, worthy of your time and we should invest in them. Uh, they may not have the opportunity you know, otherwise, you know, they may not get another door of potential opportunity, you know, if we don't do it. And so I, I just feel it's important. I, and you're getting back to the whole perceived threat. You know, the threat, it's almost like, you know, I'm going to take some bread off their table or they're not going to be able to feed their families or, or whatever. And I feel like, well, how about this? How about we all get better at what we do? I think that that just makes us all better people. The The wonderful thing about being a mix engineer, as an example, is, 
you don't have logistical boundaries. Okay, so I can mix a record from a guy in Alaska and Europe, uh, you know, anywhere in these United States of America, in any country, any province or, you know, so there's there's, there's literally no boundary, uh, you know, that limits our uh, earning potential. So why why are you afraid of me? You know, why do you feel threatened by me? And I, I don't feel threatened by you, you know, so or that person. So I, I just think it's something that, um, you know, it's it's it permeates throughout the industry, but I don't know why, and I'm endeavoring to change it as the best way I know how. So, that's very good. And one more thing I'll I'll say about that. There's a phrase I'm sure many people have heard, which is often imitated but never duplicated. Never duplicated. And and at the end at the end of the day, we all are individuals. We have souls that make us unique. So for that reason, we can't be imitated. Right. So even when you uh, help people, mentor people. And you show them certain techniques in recording or playing an instrument or fill in the blank. They'll learn as best as they can, but at the end, they still can't do it like you. Right. So, and and that's what really sells. That's what sells. You know, um, along those lines, I feel like a person's ability, a person's gift opens doors. I think there's a lot of other non-tangible things that close doors for people. And one of those, you know, you know, that we, we, you know, some of us talk about a lot in the industries, you know, a person's lack of integrity, you know, timeliness and th- all those other things that really matter to help sustain and propel your career. Uh, you know, so I think what ends up happening, you know, getting back to my example with the barber, once you get a certain comfort level with a person because they're going to do what they say they're going to do, it goes without saying that you can do the job. But can you do it when you're supposed to? Can you be where you're supposed to be? Can you perform at a consistent level? Are you going to be available and all those sorts of things? I think that, you know, it goes without saying to be successful at anything. The core of that is be good at whatever it is you're trying to do. The next thing is there's there's those other nine tangibles that we have to work on. You know, being humble. Um, You know, your gift will make room for you. You Just stay humble and be where you need to be and do what you're supposed to do. Uh, You know, are you going to be timely, you know? Are you going to be a professional in whatever it is you're supposed to be doing? And I think that those those things get overlooked a lot in the industry. And I think those of us that are uh, succeeding or on the fringes of success uh, are the ones that's, that's, paying, that, that's paying attention to those things. Again, it goes without saying, if you're a musician, you got to be great to have, you know, good at least, to have opportunity. But those other things that you're not doing, I think, keep a lot of people um you know, from being successful. Roger, thank you so much. I'm going to start right here. Uh, is there one more, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? I'm not going to stop you if there is. No, I, I appreciate, man, the opportunity, you know, to have a, a, a forum uh, to speak with you and, and your listeners. And man, you know, I, I'm definitely a, a fan. I've listened to your other podcasts and, you know, so it, man, I just appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we'd love to have you back if if you're open to it as well, because I know it's only been a half hour. So uh, absolutely. All absolutely. right. Take it easy, Roger. You too, man. Thank you. And that was our talk with recording engineer, Mr. Roger Willis. And as usual, I'm going to recap. I like to do that for you. So one thing, I mean, there are many good points here, but one thing that Roger said was record everything. Don't discriminate. In other words, Especially early on, you don't want to say, oh, I'm only going to record country music 
or I'm only going to record pop music. So record everything. Don't discriminate against the music. Uh, mixing versus mastering. It's better to have a fresh set of ears, a fresh pair of ears. Uh, tip number three that Roger mentioned was to maintain a high standard. What is your standard? What are you working by? Have a standard to work according to and maintain your high standard. Tip number four, understand the science and the theory of your craft. Tip number five, is that where I am? Tip number five, remain a student of your craft. Number six, work on your craft. Uh, Tip number seven, get connected in forums. Just about every person that's been a guest on Behind the Note podcast has mentioned just how important it is to be connected to people. And I believe Roger may be the first one to talk about internet forums. Get connected in the forums. Roger took his online meeting to an offline in-person meeting. Tip number eight, study people and their patterns. That's something that Roger does. This gives you insight on how to best capture their sound. Tip number nine, put in time, work, and then wait. In other words, you got to go through the process. There are no shortcuts. And finally, deals are made as a result of relationships. Thank you very much, everybody. If you made it this far into the episode, please consider subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever medium you're using. Uh, Please go, go ahead and subscribe to the show. And that's all for today. We'll see you in the next episode. God bless you.